everyone. Uh, my name's Josh, and it's a real pleasure to be bringing you the sermon uh, from wherever you are sitting, or wherever you are laying, uh, perhaps if you're on the couch or in bed. Uh, this uh, is a great opportunity for us as the church to come together and to uh, experience church. And we've been experiencing this for a few weeks now. Uh, and I don't know about you, maybe you're getting used to it. Maybe you might feel that you're never going to get used to uh, experiencing church this way. And we all think of the time when we can come together as a community again in person. But for now, um, let's have some fun with this and let's enjoy uh, doing church this new way uh, and experiencing uh, church through the screen. So although we're not here in person, uh, I'd like to think that, uh, yeah, I'm speaking to all of you and that we can have a bit of fun with this message this morning and dig into what God might be speaking to us. So with that in mind, I might just pray and I'd encourage you to pray with me and we'll just ask that uh, God would speak to us this morning and that he would speak through me and, um, yeah, hopefully he can minister to us and God can really um, speak to the situation and life stage that we're in. So let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that we can um, still experience your love and that no um, earthly circumstances, whether it be viruses, illness, um, no troubles or trials that come before us can ever separate us from you. And we know that uh, these are challenging times and uh, we just take heart in the knowledge that you are in and through this whole situation and that you are with us, and that you strengthen us, you provide for us. I pray that you would speak through me this morning and that uh, uh, everyone listening would have receptive hearts and that you would uh, open us up to your word and that we would receive it. And uh, we just pray all these things in the name of Jesus who um, sacrificed himself for us. We thank you for the gift of Jesus and we just pray that uh, everything that's spoken and our experience this morning would uh, be honouring of you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning I'm going to be talking about the renewed mind and we're going to be talking a bit about uh, our minds and how the current times and how this life and this world we live in is affecting our minds and we're going to look at what uh, scripture says about worry and about our minds and how we care for our minds and uh, what it might look like to have a godly mind or for God to um, set our hearts and minds right. I'm going to be speaking a bit from Philippians this morning. Um, our passage is Philippians chapter 4, uh, verse 6 to 9. So um, we might get stuck into that. This is Philippians uh, chapter 4, verse 6 to 9. Paul writes, Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. This is a great passage. Paul is writing um, from prison. Uh, Paul is imprisoned in Rome and he's writing to a church that he established in Philippi, uh, which was in uh, the Roman province of Macedonia in uh, modern-day Greece. And Paul is writing 
um, very affectionately to this church. You can tell in this uh, section of Philippians and through the whole letter of the Philippian, uh, to the Philippian church that uh, Paul really has a great sense of affection uh, for this church and he really cares for them. And this church has um, sent a gift to Paul while he's been uh, imprisoned and uh, a lot of this letter is thanking uh, the Philippian church for uh, the gift that they sent to him. Uh, but he's also concerned about uh, the persecution that they're experiencing and he's concerned about the church sticking to um, correct um, doctrine in, in these tough times of persecution and, and trial that the church is in. Uh, so before we get into this, I might just share um, a little bit about um, you know, being anxious and worrying. This uh, verse 6 starts with, do not worry about anything. Uh, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Supplication, uh, some uh, translations have petition. Uh, it's about um, humbly and earnestly uh, praying for things that you need. So the image is often of kneeling, of lowering yourself before God and really earnestly or humbly uh, asking God for things. That's what petition or, or supplication means. And Paul writes not to be worried about anything. And I don't know about you uh, watching, but for me personally, uh, I'm a bit of an anxious personality. I'm a bit of a worrier. I like to look at the things around me. And I don't know, like maybe um, some of you listening, if you also have a bit of a, an anxious personality, you can always find the thing to worry about in a given situation. Uh, you might be in a new situation or you might be in a meeting uh, there might be some new information that you've received. And for whatever reason, your mind digs through all of the things that, oh, yeah, that's fine, uh, but here's, here's something I can worry about. Here's something to be anxious about. And so um, it's been a real journey for me, uh, as I'm sure it is for many people, around not worrying, around uh, putting our trust and our faith in God. And we're going to explore a bit um, what that looks like. But uh, it's good just to acknowledge that um, this... Um, verse, do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, present your request to God. It's not as easy as it reads on paper. And this can be a very um, visceral experience for many of us. I know sometimes when I get anxious, when I worry, I feel sick. Uh, sometimes you get this feeling that you really, you don't want to go out, you don't want to travel, you don't want to do a particular activity. And so um, when we read this, do not worry about anything, uh, although um, the words, uh, it's a very short sentence and the words might not carry a lot of meaning when we think about our body's response to worry and anxiety, this really comes to life in uh, our lives and it can be a real challenge uh, for us. So let's uh, bring all those feelings of anxiety and worry and in our mind when we think about um, this passage, we can think about it with the knowledge that you know, Paul and the church in Philippi also would have had experiences, uh, physical experiences of worry and of uh, anxiety. And so Paul's not just writing to a vacuum here. He's writing about something that's real and that uh, all human beings experience. If we're going to have hope around not worrying and about uh, not being anxious, being free to... Uh, live our lives without excessive stress over what might happen next or what the future holds. We need to transform our minds and we need to renew our minds. And 
it's interesting to maybe first think about what is our mind. Our mind is our consciousness. Our mind is our creativity and our rationality. Our mind is our feelings, our perceptions, our choices. And it's interesting because our minds are not physical. Our minds are our consciousness. And lots of people um, have different views on what our minds are. And in um, science and philosophy, the mind-body problem is one of the greatest challenges of modern science. How do we understand consciousness? How do we understand what our minds really are? And there's a few different views. Um, there's a purely materialistic view that our minds are purely just our brains and that the firing of our neurons is simply all that's there and that our consciousness is just the firing of neurons. Then there's also a, another view that is our minds might not be physical. Our minds are, uh, are our consciousness. It's a non-physical thing, but it's in the brain. It's very much rooted in the firing of the neurons. So the mind is not the same thing as the firing of neurons, but they're, in a sense, completely inseparable. Uh, the firing of neurons is in the brain, and so is the consciousness, also in the brain. And then there's a view that uh, many... Uh, Religious people believe, many Christians believe, there are Christians, some of which are purely materialist, but most Christians believe that the Bible teaches that we have a soul and that our minds are completely uh, immaterial and reside within the soul. And this can be a little bit interesting because then we think about how do our minds and our brains affect each other. If the mind is purely in the soul, then why is it that some people you know, experience uh, brain trauma, and it's so clear that um, effects on our brains affects our perceptions, our consciousness, our experience of reality. So John Eccles um, was a neurologist, a Nobel Prize winning neurologist. He won the Nobel Prize uh, in the 1960s. Uh, and um, he wrote a bit about um, mind-body separation and he has a very helpful analogy, I think, that uh, we can bring to this as we think about our minds and our souls and our consciousness and how they interact with one another. John Eccles uh, said that just as a piano player uh, uses a piano to play music, uh, so the soul uses the brain as an instrument to think. And that can be helpful. That really helped me as I um, started to explore what are our minds, what does it look like, that... Uh, we can think of our minds and our brains like the piano and the piano player. Our mind is in our soul and it's a spiritual thing, it's our consciousness. And it's like this musician that uses the piano, our brain, as an instrument to think, to be able to go about life. And just as if a piano is broken or out of tune, it doesn't matter if it's Mozart or how good the piano player is, uh, he can't make good music if the piano is broken or out of tune. And in the same way, if there's a problem in the brain, if there's chemical problems, if there's been damage to the brain, the soul can't think properly, the soul can't express itself properly. And so if we're to think about this thing, if we're to think about how our minds work, if we're to think about how our soul works and interacts with our faith and spirituality, we can think about soul 
work that we need to do, and we think about mind work that we need to do, our brain work, and sometimes uh, there's problems with the brain, and sometimes there's chemical imbalances. That's why there's amazing um, you know, therapies and drugs that people find hope in that can actually restore some of these chemical imbalances. But our minds and our brains are intimately connected, and we can change our brains, we can change our minds, we can adjust the way we think. Our brains are malleable, they're changeable. And many of us have experiences of this. If you've ever learnt something, if you've ever formed a new habit, if you've broken an old habit, uh, this is in the, in the moment our minds changing. This is in that very experience of learning, our minds are being transformed. And so our minds are very impressionable, they're changeable. And Paul is writing to us uh, that we would guard our hearts and minds uh, by not worrying and by prayer. And we need a lot of guarding in our hearts and minds uh, in the 21st century. Uh, in the Western world, we have a real challenge with anxiety and depression. And it's becoming, uh, just as we're in a, you know, a global pandemic um, with this virus, you could think of our mental health as being also in a pandemic state of rampant depression and anxiety uh, coursing through our society, and particularly with our young people. And we need mind renewal, we need mind transformation. I think it's helpful to look at a bit why might some of these challenges with depression and anxiety, um, why is it bubbling up so uh, you know, powerfully in this modern world in the 21st century? For 99% of all life history, all evolutionary history, the one challenge that life faced was not enough food. Uh, people, for the majority of human history, were brutally poor and the reality is that most life simply didn't have enough calories uh, to sustain themselves, not just human beings, but animals as well. And that was the primary struggle for pretty much all of history. And now in the 21st century in the Western world, we find ourselves in a situation where we have enough food. And this surplus of food, this excess that we experience in the Western world in our privileged lives um, has caused lots of problems. Unrestricted access to calories has caused uh, global problems around diabetes, around obesity, around heart disease and kidney disease and liver disease. And all of these things have a genetic component as well. But so much of the burden on our health system is placed purely on excessive calorie intake. But now humanity is facing unrestricted access of a new thing as well. Not just unrestricted access to food and to calories, but unrestricted access to information in a way that we've never seen before. And just as the impact of unrestricted access to uh, food has had an impact on so much of society as in our health and our well-being, so too is unrestricted access to information having a dramatic impact on our mental health and the way we think and on our minds. 
human beings, it's natural for us to look over the fence and look at what other people have. And there's important, again, evolutionary reasons why we experience this. Uh, if you are uh, an early human being and maybe agriculture has just started to take off and there's new technology around farming and you have a field and you've sown your crop and you reap a harvest, but you look at your next door neighbour, you look over the fence at their harvest and they have a much more bountiful crop. They have much more food and they've had much more success than you have. There's a human response to be inquisitive, to want to know what they have that you don't. It's sort of this um, deep-seated uh, need to see how other people are responding to different situations and how other people are doing things better than we are. There's important reasons why this happens. It's a survival instinct. If we didn't look at what other people have and our own shortcomings, then we're a lot less likely to be successful in life. And so this was a really good, uh, a really good instinct to have as an early human being when communities were very small and we thought of our neighbours as those in our immediate surroundings. But today we live in a world where we have global neighbours, where we have unrestricted access to other people's lives and information through social media. And this makes the comparison instinct that we all have as human beings, it's like turning up the dials to 11. It's lighting on a fire, it's turning up the heat. Because on social media, we all have curated lives. We post pictures with the best lighting, we might use filters over our pictures, we digitally enhance them. We post photos and videos of when we're at our peak, when we're dressed up, when we're very happy, when we're experiencing life to the fullest. And we have a bombarding of this information every day and it's curated. And the end result of that is that people we see, the people that we compare ourselves to, basically look a lot more beautiful and happier than they really are. And we might be presenting images of, selves that, of ourselves that... Uh, might be a bit more beautiful than a bit more happy than we really are. It's a curation of one's image. And this really has drastic effects on our sense of self. I'm feeling, might be feeling down one night, I might be feeling like I've had a bad day, that I don't particularly feel uh, like I've been very productive or I don't feel too good about myself. And I look on social media and we have this curated gallery of the success and beauty of other people's lives. And we might look at that and think, my goodness, these people look happy. My goodness, these people look beautiful. And I don't feel that way. There must be something wrong with me. And so all of this knowledge is very powerful to have, that we have this drive as human beings to compare ourselves. And a lot of it is uh, rooted in our uh, instinct to survive our instincts to grow better. But with this unrestricted information, it's having a huge impact on our mental health. And we uh, are exposed to so much of this comparison with other people that it can really uh, damage our minds. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you can discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the challenge that I want to place before us today, to learn that uh, these writings uh, that Paul has written here, Jesus, the words of Jesus himself, he emphasizes us that uh, each day has enough worry about its own, that we're not to worry about the future. He warns us against this. And the scripture is really clear here, and there's wisdom that is undeniable, and we need to learn from it if we're to navigate our way uh, successfully through uh, this modern world that we live in. So how might we do that? Let's uh, dig into this passage in Philippians now and look more into what Paul has to say about worry and how we're to um, renew our minds, how we're to revivify ourselves in spite of all these challenges and all this um, challenging information that we receive. Paul starts uh, chapter 4 and verse 6. He says, Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He says, Do not worry about anything. Paul here is emphasizing that, and it, remember, he's writing to the church, he's writing to Christians, that Christians are not to burden their minds with the anxieties of life. These things are properly trusted to God. So we're not to burden our minds with uh, the things that we need, uh, with the food that we need, with provisions, with uh, the needs for clothing and shelter. Uh, there's naturally wisdom uh, in being concerned about these things. There's naturally wisdom in wanting to look after our families, to provide for our families. Uh, Paul isn't emphasizing here that we should just throw everything uh, up and, you know, um, just trust God and, and sit around. Uh, but he's emphasizing that Christians are not to uh, stress about the bare necessities of life because these things are properly entrusted to the God that made us. God made this world with us in mind and God loves us and created us and he'll provide for us. The pro one of the primary ways that we free our minds of anxiety and worry is by placing our trust in our provider God. Sometimes it's helpful to think about this challenge of trusting in God, uh, not in an earthly sort of perspective, but in a theological perspective, because our trust relationships that we experience as human beings with one another are very... Uh, conditional, I suppose, in that when we encounter human beings, we don't know them. Uh, we don't know what their character is. We don't really know if they can be trusted with different aspects of our lives. Um, and so sometimes it can be challenging to think, oh, I need to place my trust in God. If we have in our mindset that God is just another a person that needs to gain our trust or needs to prove his faithfulness, I think it's helpful to think about trusting God more theologically, that God is the God of the universe. He's all-powerful, he's all-loving, and he created us, he created this world, and he loves us, and he promises to provide for us. We trust in God not because he needs to prove it to us or anything like that, but because we can trust him because of who he is, because of his attributes, because he loves us. And 
And so we trust in God as a way of giving over our anxieties and worries to him. And that's the proper place for our anxieties and worries. We present them to God through prayer. Paul writes, we uh, not worry about anything, but present our requests by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And this with thanksgiving is another really uh, important uh, writing of Paul. Gratitude fundamentally changes our perspectives of ourselves, of those around us. It shifts our minds from the things that we lack to the blessings that we've already received. And this also really helps us with trusting in God. If we constantly focused on our needs and our wants, on our desires, it can be hard to trust in God because a lot of those needs and wants and desires might not yet be filled. It's hard to trust in something maybe that hasn't already happened. But for God, uh, he knows all of our wants and desires and needs. And he's known them in the past and he's already blessed us in the past and his mercy has been extended to us, giving us the things that we need and providing us with love and with salvation and with relationship. And so when we come to God, we are to come with an attitude of thanksgiving first and foremost. We are to have gratitude for the blessings that we've already received. And this sets our perspective and our minds in a way that we can then uh, relieve ourselves of this worry and anxiety and trust in a God that has already blessed us in the past. This uh, attitude, of, attitude of gratitude, this um, thankfulness that we bring to God through our prayers as well, also helps with this struggle of comparison and jealousy and social media and dealing with the things that we don't have and the things that other people have in greater abundance. When we think about things with a sense of gratitude, we, again, shift our minds to what we do have and become thankful for the blessings that we've received in a way that is the antidote for this challenge of comparison and, and jealousy that we find ourselves in. There's an important note to be made here around letting your requests be made known to God. Um, again, we can so often think about um, this writing in terms of our relationship with God as if it was just a relationship with another person. But it's important to acknowledge that this is the creator God uh, who we worship. And when he, Paul writes, let your requests be made known to God, uh, it's important to remember that in presenting our request to God, it's not about God gaining any information that he previously lacked. God knows our needs and he knows them in a way far better than we could ever articulate them. He knows our desires deeper than we could ever know them ourselves. And so um, when Paul writes for us to present our requests, our prayers to God, it's not about God gaining information. It's about God hearing as we would state them what our needs are. God wants to be in relationship to us. He doesn't just want information from us about how we're going or who we are. He knows all those things, but he wants to hear it from us to him as in a proper relationship. Uh, it's about uh, releasing our burden and our own words. Presenting our requests to God is not about 
uh, God knowing things. It's about us releasing those things to him in our own words, in the way that we would state them. And so with this point, I'd really like to encourage you in prayer to do it earnestly and humbly and in your own words. God isn't looking for our prayers to be perfect strings of information that are then gifted to him and he, he opens this letter of a prayer and he's like, oh, right, now I know uh, the X, Y, and Z of our lives uh, and what we need. It's about us genuinely uh, giving over to God our worries and anxieties in life. And then he can hear them exactly as we as human beings would state them, not as a, as a robot would, would list out uh, all of the needs and desires. Finally, Paul writes in this little section, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The fruit of this trusting in God, this gratitude, this laying down of our worries and anxieties and placing them before God, is we have a deep-seated inward satisfaction in the relationship we have with God uh, through Jesus who reconciled uh, us to God through himself. It's this deep-seated satisfaction in who we are and our relationship with God as his children that we really find the anxieties and worries of life be alleviated. And I can speak to this personally, that there's been situations in my life where I haven't known the way forward, when there's been challenges, when there's been um, habits or behaviours that I've gotten myself into that I just don't see how I could have gotten to this point. Sometimes you, you get to a low point in your life and you look back and you look at all of the little... Uh, doors that you open to get to that low point and you're like, why did I do that? Why did I allow my mind to be corrupted in this way? And it's, it seemed like small steps at the time, but looking back, you see yourself in a situation where there's so much regret and there's so much negativity, uh, negative feelings around where you are in life. And when we're able to place our trust in God, when we form habits of praying to God, the end result of that is this amazing satisfaction in and resolve in where we are and what we've done. And it gives us the ability to move on into new life, into renewal, into a new mindset that, you know, from which we can have new relationships, have new friendships, extend more love, be more generous. And the promise here is that the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds, that through these actions, God's peace will come down and rest upon us and we will feel that satisfaction, that inward contentment with who we are and where we are in life and that that peace of God will um, go with us. And it, it is, you know, it surpasses our understandings. It doesn't always make sense. But, um, you know, I pray that you might experience that peace, even though we can't always understand it, that in your moments of anxiety and worry, that that would come down and descend upon you. And uh, it's a wonderful experience when God's peace uh, comes to us in that way. And God knows the exact timing of when we need it. And it's always available to us through genuine prayer with thanksgiving. Paul goes on to write, Finally, beloved, whatever is true, 
whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing that. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me and the peace of God will be with you. Paul writes here, if there is excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about those things, the good things in life. We're not to dwell on the things we lack. We're not to dwell on the challenges. We have to face those things head on. We're not to shy away from them but we're not to dwell and meditate on the negative things. We're to dwell and meditate on the blessings, on the good things in life, the true and honourable things, the pure, excellent things. In preparation for this sermon, I um, consulted Matthew Henry's commentary, which is a great commentary to use uh, because uh, it's very easy to read for a commentary and it's also incredibly practical uh, and there's lots of everyday applications uh, in um, Matthew Henry's commentary. And I really like um, it, what this commentary had to say about um, this section, if there's anything at all worthy of praise, um, you know, to um, think on those things. And the commentary writes, Observe, the apostle would have the Christian learn anything which was good of their heathen neighbours if there be any virtue on these things. He says to imitate them in what is truly excellent among them and, not let, and let not them outdo you in any instance of goodness. We should not be ashamed to learn any good thing of bad men or those who have not our advantages. I think sometimes as a Christian, I can feel a bit ashamed around uh, when other people might be more generous or better than me. I, I have this feeling that because I know God, because I've learnt from Jesus that um, why are these unbelieving uh, you know, people doing all these good things? Uh, you know, should I be learning from them? Uh, they don't know God in the same way that I do. Um, how am I to you know, deal with this situation? The apostle would have the Christians learn anything which was good of their heathen neighbours. If there be any virtue, think on these things. Imitate them in what is truly excellent among them, and not let them outdo you in any instance of goodness. We shouldn't be ashamed of learning good things from bad people. Everyone is created in the image of God, and everyone has capacity to love their neighbour. Everyone has capacity to create, to explore, to build new things, and to create blessings for those around them. And so whether or not people are in the church, whether or not people have come to know who Jesus is and what he did for them and what a life with him might look like. There's good things in the lives of ordinary people that we shouldn't be ashamed about learning from. We shouldn't be ashamed to learn things from people who haven't had our advantages. Sometimes if you're learned in a particular area, if you might have gone to university or school, you've studied science, English, maths, and then you, know, you might come out of that with a degree, or you might have worked in a particular field for a long time. You can have this guardedness around you know, people who might know something about your own field of expertise that you didn't know. Uh, I know for me, sometimes, uh, if I've learned something in a particular area, I feel a bit protective around what I know, that I know it fully and that um, other people don't really have anything to contribute to the knowledge that I already have. Uh, 
And Paul here writes, if there's anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, he doesn't give conditions that it has to be from the church. It has to be from some position of authority. We can learn good things, truthful things from anyone. And we should have a receptiveness and openness to that. And the peace of God be with you. What a challenge for us going into this virus season, going into this challenge of lockdown. We've uh, been experiencing this for a few weeks now and uh, it looks like we'll be in this challenge and in this trial for months to come. And it's important to remember that even as this lockdown eases, even in the future, a vaccine will come and it will be distributed. More trials will come, more challenges will come. And apart from the crisis situations that we find ourselves in, we're in this world now of a digital world, of excess information. And just as we have excess food and excess you know, um, things around us, just as we might need to, you know, have a diet or something on the food that we take into our bodies, we might have to grapple with dieting in the digital world, how we think about social media, how we think about comparing ourselves with one another. This is not a crisis that will be alleviated by a vaccine. This is something that we have to deal through with as the church, as the people of God for decades and decades to come. And the only hope for us is that we renew our minds, that our souls and our minds would be transformed by the Spirit of God, that we would be able to develop new habits of thinking, that we would develop new ways of laying down our worries, laying down our anxieties. And Paul is teaching us here that the way to do that is by praying, is to give these things over with a sense of gratitude with a feeling of thanksgiving to him in a way that places trust in him to deal with the stresses of life. It places trust in him that we know that God will provide for us, that he will meet our needs. And we can be settled and self-assured in who we are, in how God has made us. We need to acknowledge the curated images that we see on social media the reality is that no one looks good all the time and no one's happy all the time. But we can get tricked in this modern era is that thinking that people do look beautiful all the time and people are happy all the time. We need to remember that life is messy and that everyone's lives get messy and that we're all in this together and we won't uh, find our sense of self-assurance by comparing ourselves with other people. Our only inward satisfaction can come through a loving relationship with God. And I pray that um, as we journey through this modern world in this time of crisis, we would be able to offer our heartfelt prayers of God, uh, to God and that he would uh, guard our hearts and minds with a sense of peace that we don't really understand, but we would know that it comes from God who loves us and who created us. I hope this has been a helpful message for you this morning. It was very helpful for me as I meditated and, write and, and wrote it. Um, and I pray that uh, we would be able to apply the teachings of Paul and the teachings of Jesus to our lives. 
and um, that our minds would be transformed and renewed in this season. Thanks very much. Be blessed as you go out into your lounge rooms, into your kitchens. Uh, think on things that are good. Think on the blessings, the true things, the pure things, the excellent things, the opportunities to speak to family members, the opportunities to be blessings to neighbours. I pray that God would guard your hearts and minds in this challenging world and that his love and peace would follow you all your days of your lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, I